0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com I just wanted to start this morning by asking you what you do if you think someone might be a bit off with you. So, you know, you get that vibe, they've been a bit short with you, how do you test the waters? If it's a friend, usually I might send them a message and ask something that I don't really need to know, but it's just testing the waters, see how they reply. Do they put kisses on the end of the message? If it's a full stop, they're definitely off with me. Um, Or if you're nice, like Tom, you might come in and start trying to win the person over, offer them cups of tea, crack jokes, ask what they want to do, try and win them back that way. Or, unfortunately, if you're like me, you could take a more angry approach and you go on the defensive and you think, what have they got to be off with me about? I've got far more to be off with them about. And you start building your argument so when it all comes out, then you're ready to win that argument because you've got more reason to be off with them than they have with you. So I'll just let you think about maybe if you relate to any of those or if you've got your own tactics, Um, and I'll come back to that a bit later. So our passage today is in Galatians. Uh, chapter 4 and the context of this is that it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia and what's really interesting is that it's the only one of Paul's letters that he wrote in the Bible that doesn't start out with a compliment to the church so all the others he says something encouraging at the beginning but this one he just goes straight in because he's mad and what it is that he's mad about is that this church started out great. They accepted Jesus, had faith in him. And then he left and some a group of Jews came into this church called the Judaizers or the circumcision and said to them that it was great that they believed in Jesus, but they had to add other stuff to that too. So they started saying that you had to add Jewish laws and traditions and things like that to make God pleased. And this had made Paul really cross, as we see in our passage So it's going to come up behind me, Galatians 4, 1 to 11, and I'll just read it now. My point is this heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods. Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. So we're going to look through that passage um, just in logical order today. Um, And to help me remember my points and hopefully to help you remember um, I've done the sort of nerdy preacher thing of making them all start with the same letter. So they all start with me. So my first one is before Jesus. And this is in verses one to three. So Paul's saying that before Jesus, we're no better off than slaves because all we had to make us right with God was this law. Um, and the law came to sort of show us how desperately we were in need of God but it doesn't give us a way to be right with God because it's impossible to fulfill on our own. And the example Paul's giving here of slaves is based on the Roman household at the time where the father of the house would sort of go out and do his business, do his trade and leave the kids to be looked after by the slaves. But these slaves, they might have a good owner that looks after them or they might not. They're very insecure in their standing. At any point, they could be sold killed, abused, anything could be done to them. So obviously they're striving really hard to try and please these masters. And they're very insecure because they know that at any point anything could happen. But it's these people without any ultimate authority that are looking after the children of the house. Um, So these children have to obey someone without ultimate authority. Um, And that's the same with any set of laws, any sort of moral code. So if you think about Orthodox Jews today or Islam or even our more current um, rule of being woke, um, it's all a sort of complicated set of standards that even the people most in the know might not know everything that there is to know. They might slip up. So, you know, you might one day say something that isn't PC by accident because you haven't realized. You might use the wrong emoji and then you are written off, you've done it wrong. Um, And it's the same, like, if you get into, you know, halal and kosher rules, that's very complicated. Um, And it's similar with us. We're slaves to things, often, that don't have ultimate authority and that can't make us right with God. The phrase that Paul uses is elementary principles, things that aren't God. So I wonder what it is that dictates your behaviour that doesn't actually have ultimate authority over you. It might be being good at your job that might make you lead you to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise make, or being a good Christian, checking in on everyone, uh, making sure that if you've seen that someone looks upset at church, you chase them down, send them a message afterwards, cook them a meal, being eco doing all your sustainable stuff, or being a joyful yet authentic Christian. Or for me, it's being seen to do to be doing the right thing, so I'll often make myself absolutely knackered out because I know what's right and I need everyone to see that I've done the right thing. Um, So these are all things that in themselves might not be bad, but don't have ultimate authority over our lives and yet enslave us and dictate our actions. So that is point one before Jesus, the things that um, we're slaves to. And then my second point is because of Jesus. And this is verses four to seven. So we can see in this passage that we're no longer insecure in our standing with God and we don't need to strive anymore because the Bible says over and over again that we are sons and daughters of the King, we're children of God. Um, Just one example of that is in 1 John 3. It says, see what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And it made me think this difference from, you know, Getting into the family made me think of when I was a kid and I'd stay at my friend's house for sleepovers. Anything that I needed that we had to talk to her parents about, I had to get her to go speak to her mum for me because I was too embarrassed. So if it was that, you know, you needed to go for a wee after lights out, she had to go out first, find her mum, and let her know that I'd be going to the toilet. Or, you know, need a glass of water. Can you go ask your mum if I can have a glass of water, please? Whereas now, with my own mum, if I FaceTime her, she lives in Portugal, so I FaceTime her quite a lot, she will honestly drop whatever she's doing to answer the call. She's answered to me like a few weeks ago in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> the call came on and she was like, can't talk right now, love, I'm in the cinema. And I was like, why did you answer? Him? But she's just so desperate to talk to me that if I call her, she answers at any point. Um, and this is one of the things that Jesus has set us free to have. It's an intimate, um, genuine relationship with God where we can talk to him wherever and whenever. And it's not losing respect for him and trying to manipulate him or like we sometimes can do with our earthly parents or where they sort of can manipulate us and tell us off if we don't talk to them enough because he's perfect. So we have been set free to enjoy Spontaneous, intimate relationship with a perfect father who does have ultimate control. And in John 8, verse 35 and 36, Jesus tells us again about slaves. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And this household that Jesus is talking about is God's kingdom kingdom. And what we have in God's kingdom now is access to his spirit, which is a spirit of boldness, not of fear and timidity. It's a spirit that gives us, you know, the well-known fruit of the spirit. Some of us might know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So it sets us free from having to live in fear and having to live bound up in addictions, the need for revenge, jealousy. All of these things, because we have the spirit of God inside of us. And then there's also the not yet aspect of God's kingdom, the promise of what's to come. It says in Revelation 21 that a picture of this is God himself will dwell with them. That's us. God himself will dwell with us. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning, crying and pain will be no more. So because of Jesus, we're set free from the ultimacy and the pressure to have perfection in this life because we've got a hope of a bright future to come where there'll be no more pain and where we live in this sort of perfect, close relationship with God our Father. So just wanted to think about that. If we're Christians today, if we have this relationship with Jesus, do we live in the light of this? Do we remind ourselves often enough of this? I've been struck recently that I don't think often about the hope of what's to come. I get very caught up in the here and now and I've got to get it right in this life and I've got to make sure Eden turns out right and I don't make any sort of long-lasting damaging effects on her and, you know, cook for community group, what if I give them food poisoning? It all becomes very um, ultimate to me and I forget that we're living in light of eternity. That's one of the things that Jesus has done for us. So we've seen how we were slaves before Jesus, and how because of Jesus we've been set free to enjoy an intimate relationship with God. And my final point, point three, is belittling Jesus. And so in verses eight to eleven, Paul warns us that it is possible, even though we've been set free, to put ourselves again under this yoke of slavery and reject the once and for all solution that Jesus has given us of how to be right with God. And it really, this bit just really made me think of the story of the prodigal son where neither of the sons in the story were enjoying relationship with the father. So I'll just recap the story in case anyone doesn't know it. It's um, a dad has two sons and the younger son says, can I have my inheritance now? Takes it, runs off, spends it all on wild living, doing stuff he shouldn't be doing. um, And then goes hungry because he's run out of money and thinks the servants at my dad's house had plenty to eat. Maybe I'll go back there and ask him if I can be a servant now instead of a son, because I've sort of brought shame on him. But while it, when he's on his way back, while he's still a long way off, the passage says. The father saw him and was filled with compassion and went running with open arms to welcome him back. And he said, no, you can't be my servant. You can come into my house and have my best food, have the calf that I've been fattening for a great celebration, have my clothes put on you again. Um, and the older brother hears all the commotion and comes in, out of the field and it strikes me as well here neither of them were in the home with the father they were both out for different reasons so the the older brother has been out trying to be a good son and he comes near and says what's all the fuss about and gets really cross that his dad's doing all this for this son who hadn't lived as well as him and the father has to go out and sort of invite him in and say come in come celebrate with me um so both the, the, the sons in this passage weren't enjoying that being inside the home, enjoying intimate relationship with the father, either because they were a bit of a misery like the older brother, being self-righteous, kidding themselves, they were a good son doing the right thing and being cross at all the people that weren't doing the same as them, um, or being a bit rebellious like the younger son and then being ashamed and distant and causing separation because of that. Um, But we see that for this father here, distant relationship isn't what he wants. He's got open arms, calling them in to to be close to him. So and we've seen in the previous points how tiring and insecure it is to live as a slave. um, And also how glorious it is to live in intimacy as a child of God. So Paul's question, why he's getting so cross, is why would you go back? Why do we make ourselves slaves again to these things that don't have ultimate authority? We've got such good options. Why do we go to the sort of the beggarly elements, the things that aren't our gods, that dictate our actions? So let's not submit ourselves again to being slaves, of keeping a moral life, of being... I'm I'm not saying don't be woke, but, you know, don't let it dictate all your actions... Um, And let's also not be self-righteous and miserable, not joining the party like the older brother. Let's come in and accept the father's invitation to celebrate and take part in all the good stuff he has for us now. So we've seen that before Jesus, we were no better off than slaves. Because of Jesus, we're free to enjoy this relationship with our father God and have access to his spirit. Um, And we've seen as well that we can belittle Jesus by living like Um, we do still need to do the things that uh, that the law dictates us to do. So just linking back to my question at the start, what is it you do when someone's off with you? Do you test the waters? Do you sort of beat around the bush? Do you try to win them over? Do you get cross with them? Maybe we could just talk to each other. That would be great. Um, But especially with God, we can talk to him. That's his invitation to us. It says that his spirit in us, cries out, Abba, Father. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to cry out to him and talk to him um, like a perfect father. He can handle it if we tell him when we are cross, when we're upset. He can handle it. Um, he also loves it when we tell him that we're happy and when we delight in the good gifts that he's given us. So like in the story of the prodigal son, he welcomes us back like a, like a father with his arms open wide.